Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to worship this morning. It's so good to see you here alive and alert, especially Henry doing some dance moves up in the balcony. Appreciated that this morning. Oh, he's in the hall. Great to have you all here with us today. Be sure to sign in on uh, the attendance folders to let us know that you were here. As always, we delight in hearing if you have any particular prayer requests, celebrations for yourself, or uh, requests for those that you care about so that we might pray as a congregation over those. So thank you always for doing that as we continue to always be in a spirit of prayer throughout the service. Uh, Sheila Lambert asked me to especially be in prayer for the Eagles fans that will be mourning after today's game. So... <laughs> It is Super Bowl Sunday for our nation, and uh, so we are celebrating that in a few ways. One, we'll have just a little reference to football here in the service, and, uh, f and following service on Sunday school around 1130, we are hosting a lunch uh, with a variety of delicious soups. So thank you for those of you who have prepared uh, our lunch for us, soup and salad and bread and dessert down in the fellowship hall at 11:30. So hope you can join us even if you have to depart after service, come back and eat with us and there will be an opportunity to help uh, support some of our mission uh, ministries through that lunch. Um, so this will be our Super Bowl offering at lunch as well. So hope you can join us in that way later today. We are coming up quickly to the season of Lent, which is a time of preparation before Easter. Lent begins on Wednesday, February 22nd, and we will be beginning the season with a service of ashes, um, and that service will be hosted at Rosedale Hills United Methodist Church at 6.30, and so I will be preaching that service, uh, but the Rosedale Hills Choir will be providing the music, and so we do hope that you will come and worship with some of our fellow Methodists in the community. Uh, our church will be hosting the Maundy Thursday service uh, later in April, so more information about that. The season of Lent, we'll be asking Jesus to teach us how to pray. We'll be studying the Lord's Prayer, and uh, soon we'll be releasing a daily devotional guide for you about prayer and the Lord's Prayer, so look for that at the season of Lent startup as well. Throughout the month of February, remember that our loose Change offering is supporting our funeral meal ministry. And so again, that is the change you put in the plate. Loose dollars will go towards the general fund. So if you want to put in uh, a hearty 50 or 100 for fu funeral meals, just put that in an envelope, please. So appreciate that. Again, great to have you all with us. Looking forward to a great morning and a great time of fellowship. Let's greet each other now with the peace of Christ as we prepare for worship today.
Let us give thanks to the Lord for this morning. Gracious and glorious God, it is a gift that we are called in this way uh, to be your family, together listening to your voice, learning your word, reaching out through prayer, committing our lives to follow you as we seek your kingdom here on earth. Bring forgiveness and healing, bring courage and strength, instill in us the values of the Beatitudes as we worship together. In Christ's name this morning, amen. For over 150 years, men have bruised and battled on fields like this, fighting for inches, foot by foot, yard after yard, they go to war. And all for the glory of the game. Funny thing about glory, though. Doesn't last too long down here. Does it? <laughs> this life is barely a second in the scope of eternity. In eternity, well, that's an overtime game that's much harder to comprehend. But what if, what if we thought of it this way? What if we measured time by the length of this football field? The Bible tells us that to God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Look, I don't have a math mind, but I do know football. So if we were to measure time by the length of this field, then this hundred yards, that would be a thousand years. The 50 yard line, that's 500 years. And right here, this is where we live our lives. First and 10 plus and minus a decade, day after day, living in the red zone. But in this eight, nine, 10 yards that we fought over every inch for. How do we know whether we're winning or we're losing? Well, thing is, God has quite a different way of measuring a yard or a year or even a thousand years. Because let's face it, what's it to him? God's thousand years, the long suffering. His new day, it's full of new mercy. That midnight hour is there for a second chance. You see, time never holds him back or forces him forward. The moments of someone's life stolen away too early by death and multiplied without end on the banquet table of eternity. Yes, our agonizing weight is but a drop in the bucket of his goodness and grace. All those seconds that go by those inches played out on the giant field of eternity. Is God's perfect plan carried out in a precision that we can't even fathom? Thankfully, we don't have to understand it. All we have to do is trust him. So, how will your years, your season in this world, be measured? Yards fought and won are by trusting in the one who can get you down the field of eternity. And he doesn't even break a sweat.
even stand for the call to repent. From before the rising of the sun, the gathering of the crowd, and the call of the first plague, from season to season and everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lord, you are our stronghold through every yard of life. For a thousand years in your sight are but a blink of an eye. You have the long view of the game in mind, and every player is in your care. Lead us on right paths, teach us to live your ways, and guide us to the end zone of victory. Amen. Our hymn of praise is Guide by Peace. Inspire us today to put you first. Remove our need to boast and exert our own power 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Yo, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This morning we have a reading from our Psalter, Psalm 37, that relates well to our beatitude of the day. And so, thankfully, Luke has prepared for us a musical response, and so we're going to hear that first before we begin in our responsive reading for this morning. Be angry because of the wicked, and do not be envious of the wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, who will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in God who will act, bringing forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noonday. Be still and wait patiently before the Lord. Do not be angry because of those who prosper in their way, because of those who carry out evil devices. from anger and forsake wrath. Do not be angry. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall possess the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look at their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall possess the land, and the light
comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And now, I know we have some very bouncy children out here, so come on up. your help, Lorelai, okay? Here, here. Could you bring this over for me? I carried it all the way into church, but I couldn't carry it the rest of the way. Will you get it for me? I'll help you. What about, what, who do you need some help? Well, why wouldn't I bring it to church? <laughs> Ruth, will you help her? Or do I have to do it all by myself? Can you do it? Oh, yeah, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? And guess what? It's dirty, too. You should have seen the cobwebs that were on it. Okay, just put it right down here. Oh, that is one heavy, heavy burden. You know that? But thank you. You guys are pretty strong. But I, I wonder, maybe I could challenge Peter, because you're a compassionate guy, and you may be stronger than most. Do you think, you think he's Peter, that Peter's stronger? No. <laughs> oh, you're, do you think you could hold that with your arms stretched out, oh, say for five minutes? Yeah, I don't think so. That's a long time. Five minutes is one time. Well, you know what? That's, this is the thing. The longer you hold that, the heavier it hold it probably for a little bit, but for a long time, it gets really heavy. And that's sort of what what I was exactly what I was thinking about. It's talking about burdens. And what causes us to have something heavy, something that burdens us? Can anybody think of something that burdens you or causes you stress? What about, oh, I got it, Olivia. Yeah, brothers and sisters cause us stress. Yeah, that, that's important. That's true. Not, not just me, but. What about friends that might, yes, that would be it too. Does that cause you a burden? Yeah. Peter, you had something? Yeah, you see a big bug in your house, and then you try and take it away, and then it hides. A big bug? What if you studied really super, super hard for, well, I'm going to use what would have been hard for me, a history test, and you just didn't do very well? Is that a burden? Does that make you feel bad? Like, you think, gosh, I should have done better than that. Well, you know, and as we get older, 
sometimes you get sick and you have a disease or an illness that nothing we did caused it, it just happened. Or sometimes we have bills to pay and it's just really hard to find the money to pay the bills that we have to do. So there's all kinds of burdens. But the good news is what our scripture said today. And our scripture, I'm going to read it a little bit differently. It says, God, this is Jesus talking, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, Jesus said. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So what is Jesus telling us to do? What is Jesus telling us to do? Give up our burdens, because he'll carry them for us. He's happy to do it. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, sometimes our burdens are too heavy to carry alone. Help us remember that you said to give our burdens to you. Amen. See you in Sunday school. anyone like the cinder block, you can hold it during the sermon, see how long you can go. <laughs> Sounds like a good challenge for the end of the football team, you know? Yeah. How much can you carry? There's a football player by the name of Nick Bosa, and he plays for a team, the San Francisco 49ers, and he had perhaps one of his best seasons this year. He is up for the uh, defensive player of the year. And a reporter speaking to him said, you know, Nick, at times it appears as if your dominance comes easy. And this is what he said. I appreciate it. That's a big compliment. I definitely have put a lot of work in. It's not easy. But actually at this point, sometimes it is. <laughs> so in honor of the Super Bowl and the Beatitudes today, here are some of the meek and humble moments in football. Try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree. That's the result you're gonna get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you're gonna shut it for you real quick. Get off the field. Get off the field. You can't hurt this. I'm a machine, Dirk. You don't carry my job. Come on, man. What's up? What's up? Yeah, It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. 
So those are a few of your humble, easygoing, kind of meek examples. Maybe they're a little overconfident. Maybe just a, maybe a way overboard arrogant, you know. But don't we almost expect that of our athletes? It, it is a competitive world out there after all. You got to let others know you're not going to get pushed around. Strong, assertive advance. Is that right? So how in the world does Jesus tell us that the meek will inherit the earth? What do you think of when you hear that word, meek? No brain, no brawn, no backbone, no conviction, no spirit, no drive, no guts. Shy, unassertive, the intimidator. Any of those words sound right? Today's beatitude, blessed are the meek, may sound as the most illogical of all the beatitudes. We all know what happens to those who are meek. William Shakespeare put it, the weakest go to the wall. You get the worst results out of a fight. You are thrust out of the limelight. You are silenced. You are lost. Meekness has not always meant timid, and it didn't mean wimpiness either when Jesus was preaching. There are two people in the scriptures who are described as meek, and they are Moses and Jesus. The book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3 reads, Now the man Moses was very meek, nor, no more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And that statement comes in a response to an episode in Moses' life where his siblings were challenging his position in the community. They did not like the woman that Moses had married. They were criticizing her publicly. They were jealous of Moses' connection with God, that he alone could speak for God. So Miriam and Aaron publicly disparaged Moses, damaging to his position of influence. But he refused to strike back. He did not use words or express great anger. He did not get worked up. He had clarity of God's call, his place in God's work, and so he released the situation to God. During the trial of Jesus, the local police of the temple spat on him. They blindfolded him, hit him in the face. The foreign military of the Roman Empire insulted him, beat him, whipped him, 
thrust the crown of thorns on his head, placed a royal robe of purple on his shoulders, mocked him. But he refused to respond with violence or his own trash talk. He did not repeat their spirit and actions. The author of 1 Peter wrote, while Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Were Moses and Jesus gutless? Were they weak? Were they spineless? Were they intimidated, inactive? Or did they display enormous strength in their ability to resist revenge? Did they reflect enormous power by not trying to prove that they were powerful? Were their greatest words the ones they left unspoken? One day Jesus was teaching in the city, and he spotted a crowd that looked weary, worn, broken down. As Mary Lynn described them, I'm sure you could feel that in your own life, what it feels like to carry burdens. I wonder if their exhaustion was due to the fact that they were working so hard to do life right, trying to reach perfection, achieve greatness, strive to be on the top, even if it killed them. If they're anything like me, they were exhausted because of this constant fight with life, feeling like there's always another word that needs to be spoken, a comeback line, an argument to make, a case to prove. You've got to outwit others if you're going to get ahead. You can't be pushed around. And to that crowd, Jesus says, take my yoke, for I am gentle, I am meek, and humble, and you'll find rest for your souls. My preaching professor once said, this is not Jesus' invitation to take up his hammock. It's not saying just relax, kick back, let every worry slide off of you. A yoke. It was a device that bound animals together so a farmer could control them and lead them to productive work. And in Judaism, a yoke meant to be obedient to God's law and wisdom. So to take on Jesus' yoke is to be guided by his wisdom, his teaching of life, to be finessed by his outlook of the world with heaven coming into it and be guided in that way is how we live. Jesus' yoke was not light because it meant we have nothing to do, nor because it's like football pads and it will always protect us and we'll always be safe and never have harm again. His yoke, in fact, requires great courage because it looks a bit like a cross. But it's easy because when we align with him, Jesus gives us peace, wholeness, satisfaction to our souls. Pastor Daryl Johnson said when Jesus infuses us with his life and his spirit, we take on his character, which includes the characteristic of being meek. And what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Meek is a hard word to understand. 
Some first century people use that word to describe domesticated animals and the way they fell in line with where the farmer wanted them to go. The word was used to describe people who cooperated with authorities, those who knew how to behave. Is Jesus saying here, blessed are God's gentlemen and and gentlewomen? Is that what this means? Many interpreters link this beatitude with Psalm 37, which we read today. You remember the refrain that we sang, they shall inherit the land, just as Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. The psalm is attributed to David, but is admittedly written by a senior citizen. Check out verse 25 of that psalm. It's a collection of observations by someone who's lived for a while, giving guidance to a younger crowd about how they might live. And this older person has observed the truth that it looks like those who have power and yield it get ahead. Those who assert themselves, those who control are prospering. The rich are buying their way out of problems. They don't seem to be held accountable at all. But despite all these observations, the writer says, but the meek will inherit the land. And you know in Israel, in that culture, at that time and even today, nothing is more victorious than receiving the land. It's as if the author was saying, youngsters, don't worry about the rich and how wicked they are. Those who are getting away, don't get angry, don't seek revenge, don't get worked up. Wait on the Lord. The Lord holds your hand. Contrary to what appears true, those who remain meek will win. There's a lot we can learn from this psalm. What meekness might look like for us as we're trying to grow as a disciple, as Jesus puts his spirit in us. The meek trust in God. They courageously do the godly thing. They delight when God delights. They don't dwell on being taken advantage of. They don't compare themselves to others. They deliberately redirect their emotion to find peace in Christ. They commit their way to the Lord. The word commit literally means roll, roll into. So the meek roll their lives into the Lord. Their cares, their reputations, their worries, they roll it into the Lord and let the Lord worry about it. It's as if we could say, what he did to me was wrong, but he's answerable to God. So I'll let God deal with him. But I'm answerable to God too, so I need to focus on what's doing right. When I was reading about these descriptions of what it means to be meek, I was nodding my head. I was like, right on, that sounds like meekness to me. And then I started thinking about Jesus and Moses again. And there was that incident when the Israelites were building that golden calf. And Moses was receiving God's law. Perhaps you remember this story. And he blew his top on that one. I remember. He became so angry at the sight of the Israelites that he broke the tablets of the Ten Commandments, burned the calf, ground it into powder, and forced the Israelites to drink it. And then there was Jesus. He was steady in the face of the world's greatest acts of brutality. But he got a bit frustrated with the folks who were abusing the use of the temple, 
started throwing tables around. These faith breaks, yeah, they rolled their lives into God. They trusted in God, but they weren't without emotion, with frustration, particularly when it moved against what God wanted. Aristotle, who lived 300 years before Jesus, talked about meekness as a balance between anger and indifference. So imagine two extremes. One is you get angry at everything and everybody all the time. And on the other, you're never angry. You just let it slide for no reason whatsoever. Nothing gets you riled up. You're cool and collected. And somewhere in the middle, being meek, knowing when to speak and when not to, who to be angry at and who to refrain. John Wesley, 2,000 years after Aristotle, preached a sermon and right out of Aristotle's book. Meekness is the midline, he said. It's neither apathy nor uncontrolled emotion. It's neither hatred nor fear. I like the image of being anchored in the ground, grounded in this moment, steady, trusting in God. I'm not going to lose myself to hatred, retaliation, revenge. I'm not going to push and grab and demand to get ahead. But neither will I let wrongfulness in this moment pass by. Neither will I stand here while there is abuse or violence or discrimination and let it go undetected, anchored in this moment. There was a British theologian who said when Jesus talks about meek, he means restraining power to conquer, to overwhelm, to crush. But he doesn't mean not speaking up. Meekness becomes nonviolent action, a way to address injustice. It's not complacency. It's resolutely contending to make things right. I'm reminded of Frederick Douglass, born a slave in Maryland. 20 years later, in 1838, he escaped. Powerful speaker, became one of the country's most persuasive abolitionists. He met and influenced five American presidents, stood in a long line of prophets, Jeremiah, Jesus, fiercely denouncing the hypocrisy of the American Christian. In a striking rebuke, he said, the white church would never admit into their fellowship a man who stole sheep, but they embrace those who steal people. Are we to suggest that Douglas should have been quieter? He failed to be meek. Or was his prophetic address exactly the characteristics that Jesus was looking for? There's a current day student writing an essay about his experience as a young black man growing up in America. He shared about the racist comments people had made about him. He wrote about being followed by security guards in the mall. He admitted he's afraid to be shot by police. He expressed how angry he gets, how easy it would be to fight back, but he desires the real strength to not do so. What does it mean for him to be meek? And then I started wondering, well, does meekness look the same for men and for women? I mean, modern American culture tends to view angry men and angry women a little bit differently. If I catch a touchdown pass 
scream into the stands, talk back to the ref because of a bad call, well, then I'm confident. I'm bold. If Mary Lynn does it, well, she's getting too emotional. (laughs) She needs to act more ladylike. So what's the right amount of response or silence? What does it mean to be meek? I get it. Sermons are usually supposed to wrap up and answer the questions by the end, not ask new ones. But here we are at the end, and being meek is still up for debate. I think how Jesus creates meekness in each of you might be different in how it's created in me. But I hope you leave confident today knowing that to be meek does not mean to be puny. It does not mean to be weak. It's powerful. It's self-restraint. The ability to resist certain pressure, to fight back, or to give in to greed, or to be violent, or to discriminate. It's yielding yourself. But it doesn't mean stepping away. It's a sign that we surrender to God. And that surrender causes us to love sacrificially in ways we can't do on our own. We're anchored in God's strength to God's call so that love can break through. So I invite you this week to join with me. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Lord God, help guide me to be meek. What does that mean? To know when to be angry and when not. Or when to tackle the world's problems or when to release them to God's hands. Or how to express passion. Or how to restrain so I don't hurt someone. How best to hold my words in, or how best to speak out when I must say what must be said. Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, who gives us the strength and the wisdom. For as author Jerry Bridger says, this time, these days, it takes a lot to be strong. God's strength in order to be truly gentle. As we come to our time of prayer today, uh, first of all, I think it would be appropriate to celebrate God's goodness, Uh, celebrate how God is working in lives and bringing joy. Uh, A couple things that I think I do know. Uh, We all celebrated the birth of a new great grandchild recently. We give thanks for that. Ooh, turning me on. And I heard that Mr. Pete Morris had a recent birthday a decade birthday of significance. So we're celebrating with Pete this morning as well. But there are, there are things for which uh, our heart aches that we pray. Um, we're particularly saddened anytime there is loss, grief, and death. Um, today we have on the altar two white roses uh, as we remember the life of, of Leonard Lucas and also, as we heard, of the death of uh, Shirley Bornman. And so we pray for their families this morning. But we broaden our prayers to those in Turkey and Syria at the devastating earthquakes there and the cold conditions that make recovery difficult and all those living without housing so horrible. We pray, Lord, uh, here on this one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, for the loss of life and devastation there. Continue to pray for the families of Tyree Nichols and Brianna Taylor 
for those who are still feeling the, the wounds of uh, violence by those who exploit power. And this week, uh, the Pope prayed for uh, a large mass of groups uh, from South Sudan, praying for peace there in the midst of civil war. We pray for healing for our friends and family. We pray for our church. We pray for ourselves that in the midst of all that is frustrating, that we would remain gentle and yet committed to Christ's way of justice. Let's pray, uh, sing as we prepare to
gracious and holy God, marvelous are you, abundant in mercy and love, power and might, compassion, guiding those who are overwhelmed, burdened, weighed down, lifting their loads, releasing them to be free. We worship you in gladness for the way you have changed our lives, revived us, and made us new. Continue to work these beatitude lifestyles into us. Only by following you will we find ourselves humble, meek, pure of heart. We call upon you to change us that we might change the world. You've heard, Lord, our prayers, our celebrations, our wounds. You know our sin. You know our failings. Forgive us. Heal us, mend the brokenness in us and in the world. Bring your peace, Lord God, that we might see you and celebrate the work that you are doing amongst us and cause us to be that light, Lord, so that Christ is alive in and through us. We lift our prayers in his name today as we share the prayer he taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Heavenly Father, please accept these tithes and offerings that we freely give. Our prayer today is that you will help us to always remember that you are stronger than we are and you are always ready to carry our burdens. Amen. We've got our burdens that we're carrying, and I don't know what your burdens are today, but uh, perhaps it's a feeling of having to always be on top, fight back, have the last word, show that you're confident. 
And may the Lord release that burden so that you can live in meekness. And for those of you who feel like you're always crushed, who never have a voice, perhaps that burden is finding it and the Lord renewing your strength. But whatever that burden might be today, we release it. I'll put it on the floor. We'll release it to the Lord this day and let Him carry us home. Thanks be to God. Amen.